Well, in life, uh, unknowns can be very scary, right? Uh, we, we, uh, I witnessed Jacob and Martha get married, and, and a lot of times in marriage, right, when a person is about to get married, it can be scary for them. Uh, we, we, we laugh at people who say, are you having cold feet and all that stuff, but I mean, just think about it. You know, they, they've been going through life as an individual, and here in this moment, they're planning on uniting with someone else. And even though they've spent hours planning the wedding, and even though they've spent uh, time thinking about this, it can be scary moments. Uh, yesterday, Jacob uh, was about 10 minutes from the, the ceremony, and he just got real quiet, and he's like, man, it's hitting me. You know, and, and, that's, and that's what it was. It, it's this unknown, not knowing what life is going to bring. You know, all of us in our life, we, we have a mental picture for what we want to happen. Uh, whether it's 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, or even 5 years down the road. You know, we have a mental picture of what we expect our life to be like. You know, I have one. You know, 10 years from now, uh, my children are going to be in high school. And I have a mental picture for how they are going to be as individuals, how we're going to be as a family, uh, how we're not going to have any more kids. That type of stuff is in uh, my mind. You know, but what happens if something unexpected happens? All right, what, what happens if uh, Hannah, my oldest, who will be a senior in 10 years, what if she gets some illness? You know, what happens if uh, it's something beyond even surgery, you know, something that uh, is maybe even incurable. All right, my mental image, this picture that I have that in many ways is undescribable uh, other than to myself, you know, what does that look like when, when the unforeseeable happens? You know, it changes a lot of things and it brings fear into our lives. You know, when, when we don't know what's going to happen, we have fear. And fear causes us to do all kinds of crazy things. You know, fear uh, makes us willing to do things that we normally wouldn't do, whether it's uh, maybe even committing a crime that we normally wouldn't commit or, or doing, treating people in ways that we would not normally treat people. You know, fear essentially in a lot of ways makes us self-focused. You know, we start to think only about ourselves. How are we going to get out of this? Or how are we going to get my family out of this situation? And it causes us to, in a lot of ways, stop uh, loving other people. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I think fear at the very heart keeps us from doing that. All right, so today I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about how Jesus uh, handled fear in the lives of his disciples. Uh, and we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. So if you have your Bibles, we'd uh, love for you to turn there. Uh, and as you're doing that, I just kind of want us to be reminded about what we're doing. We're, we're looking at the seven miracles that John recorded that Jesus did. Uh, John did say he do, Jesus did other miracles, but these are seven that he wanted to get across. And he tells us at the very end of his book that the reason why he wrote these seven, he chose these seven, was because he wanted us to know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John felt that if you knew these seven miracles, you would know all you would need to know about the Messiah and who he was and what he came to do. Uh, and so that's what we're kind of looking at. Uh, we're, we're looking at these miracles. They're miracles that, that show us who Jesus is. They're miracles that teach us about life. 
All right, we've looked at a couple of them. We look at uh, where Jesus was the winemaker. You know, he took ordinary water and turned it into extraordinary wine. And in our lives, the Messiah does it. He takes our ordinary life and he makes it extraordinary. He gives us a life uh, that is worth living, if you will. Uh, he's also the synchronized healer. He, he heals this son of a royal official from a distance at a precise moment. And we learn that uh, God is willing to do things in our lives in his timing at the right moments. And a lot of times it takes believing without seeing to do that. Uh, we saw that he is a rule breaker. You know, the religious establishment said, you can't do this on the Sabbath. But what does Jesus do? He does the world, will of God. Right? Not worrying about what society says is right and wrong, but doing what God says is right and wrong. And that's something that we should be emulating. We need to be doing the work of the Father. And then last week we talked about him being the meal maker, taking uh, five loaves of bread and two small fish and feeding 5,000 people. All right, and so that's, that's kind of what he does. He, he satisfies not only our physical hunger, but our spiritual inward hunger as well. Well, today, this, this next aspect we're going to look at uh, is called the water walker. Or at least that's what we call it, because he's walking on water, right? Uh, and so basically what's happened up to this point is Jesus, uh, at the beginning of chapter 6, gets into a boat uh, at, at Capernaum, and he heads off across the lake. And, and we're told in Matthew that he does this because he's trying to escape the crowds. Uh, he had just learned uh, that his dear friend and his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. And so he's trying to get away because he is human. You know, he needs to mourn. All right? And he can't mourn with a whole bunch of people around him asking for things. Right? If you lost someone recently, you didn't want a bunch of people just asking you, hey, can you give me something? Can you give me something? That's, that's not what you desire. You know, you need to get away. You need to mourn in whatever way. And so that's what Jesus is trying to do. And so as he's going across the lake, he reaches the other side. And what does he see? But a bunch of people. <laughs> so he's trying to escape all these people. And all he gets is more people. And so when he sees these people, uh, he forgets about himself. And he says, I have compassion for you. And he sits down and he teaches them all day. When they get hungry, he feeds them. All right. But when they realize that he can make bread out of nothing almost, uh, they decide that they want to make him king because he can satisfy their physical needs. And Jesus is not what he's about. And so uh, that's where we're going to pick up this story when Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. He goes on to a mountain uh, to get away. And verse 16 uh, is where we're going to pick up today. Uh, and this is what it says. When evening came, his disciples went down uh, to the lake. Uh, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Uh, by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And I want to stop right there for a moment. So what, what we had was uh, the, they got into a boat from Capernaum, went to this other side of the lake, the large crowds, and now they're going back to Capernaum, more or less to escape the crowds that had just followed them. I right, uh, like the story uh, of the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only story that John shares uh, with the rest of the Gospels. Uh, and the other Gospels puts it in the same place. Feeding of 5,000, walking on the water. All right, and so this is uh, significant that, that John, writing many years later, says these are two stories that are important. Okay, And so uh, that's why we're, we're including this in this. All right, Jesus, uh, more likely what has happened here is he's, he's gone on his mountain. The disciples probably tried to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, no, no, you guys go ahead and go back across the lake. All right, and so they go down, 
to the lake. It's dark now. They're getting in their boat. Jesus is still on the mountain. And Jesus has probably said, hey, I'll meet you in Capernaum. And so they just get on the lake and they start to cross uh, this lake uh, and, and uh, they're traveling there. Okay? Uh, and, and the crowds uh, that have been with Jesus, they probably saw the disciples get in the boat and leave. Right, later on, when they realize Jesus isn't going to come down from the mountain because he's no longer there, they head to Capernaum. All right, so they probably see the disciples heading back to the city across the lake, uh, and so that's how they're able to find him later. All right, but Jesus isn't there, and so they don't follow at first. Right, and this maybe is Jesus' plan, okay? He, he knows that they're going to follow him wherever, and so he's making sure that the disciples get a head start so that the crowds uh, will not necessarily follow them. Uh, now, it's important that we understand the makeup of the disciples at this point. Uh, the disciples, uh, there's 12 of them, all right, but of the disciples, we don't necessarily know all of their occupations before they started to follow Jesus. But we do know at least four of them were fishermen. Uh, there's possibly up to seven of them were professional fishermen. And fishermen in this day and age uh, in Jerusalem was a very respectable occupation. Uh, John and, and James, they're going to be actually very wealthy fishermen, right? and they're going to have a lot of access to things. And so it's, it's not a negative job like we may have it be today. All right? But it was a very respectable. Most of the fishing done on the Sea of Galilee was done at night, all right? and, and for various reasons, but they did it at night. Uh, they had two different types of nets they fished with, depending on how deep the waters were. Uh, but that's when they mainly did it, and, and probably because the fish came to the surface better at that time. All right, and so, so these guys, they know what they're doing. They, they've spent their entire lives on the lake. All right, they've spent it at night. All right, so they know what they're doing. But even in the moments that they know what they're doing, life can unexpectedly change. And for the disciples, that's what happens here. While they're traveling across a lake, the unexpected happens. And this windstorm comes. And it starts to rock the boat and it starts to toss up the waves. And now they are in a very dangerous situation. Now it's important that we understand also how the Sea of Galilee is. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is actually a very unique sea. Uh, it, it, it is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Right, it sits about 600 feet below sea level. Right, so that's, that's significantly, it's the second lowest lake. The lowest lake in the world is the uh, Dead Sea, which is south of the Sea of Galilee, but it's salt water. You, you, can't, you can't sink in it. That's how salty it is. Okay? Right, and so this is a very low lake. And, and where it's situated in Palestine, uh, to its west, there is a mountain range. And this mountain range stretches from the Sea of Galilee almost to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and there's these mountain passes that go east and west. And so what will happen every once in a while is wind will be coming from the west, traveling east, hitting those mountains, and it will funnel into those passes. And then it will come out on the other side of the mountain right at uh, the Sea of Galilee. And it could cause some very nasty storms. Right, and so this is probably what's happening here, is the wind has suddenly come. It's unexpected. They don't realize it was happening until it was too late, and they're caught in this windstorm. And it's while they're in this storm uh, that Jesus does his miracle. And this is what we read uh, that Jesus does in verse 19. It says, when they had ro rowed about three or four miles, uh, they saw Jesus approaching the boats, walking on the water, and they were frightened. 
But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And so what we see is that, that Jesus, uh, he decides to come to the disciples. Right, the disciples are probably struggling. Right, they, they are probably trying to row against this wind, uh, which was not an easy task. Uh, they have the waves crashing up against the boat. And so every time they're pulling, the waves are pushing them back farther. And so they're probably really struggling. Probably added to this is the fact that they have just spent the entire day uh, ministering to 5,000 people, which is probably really tiring. Uh, they have just rowed most of the night. All right, and, and so they are just exhausted, wiped out. Right, and, and here they see Jesus walking on water. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never done this before. How many of you guys have ever walked on water? Yeah, it's not something that, that I've ever seen either, right? And so these guys, as fishermen, they've probably heard a lot of different stories all right, that happen at night. It's night, you're on a lake. There's no one else around you. It can probably get really spooky. And we've all heard of these big fish stories, right? right and so what we see happening is they see this guy coming across the lake on the water, and they're scared. Wouldn't you be? Mark, when he tells this story, says that they said it was a ghost. I mean, they thought it was a ghost. Because this doesn't happen. No one walks on water. No one does it in the middle of the night. What is going on? And so they're scared for their lives. It's a ghost. And it's in this moment that Jesus speaks out and he says, Do not be afraid. It is I. And it's a beautiful scene. Jesus gets into the boats. They're teleported, transported, something happens, and they're at the shore immediately, uh, and, and it's all good then. But there was a moment there where the disciples had fear. And it's in that moment that Jesus looked into their lives and said, Hey, there's no reason for you to be afraid because I am here. See, the thing about fear is when we have the Messiah, when we have Jesus, there's really nothing in this world that we should be afraid of. Because he is willing to come to our aid. And he, the master of the universe, the creator of all we see, is with us. And if he is with us, then, then what is there to be afraid of? Well, then the time that we have left, I want to talk about... Uh, the biblical fears that the Bible talks about. And really, they can be categorized into three different main things. There, there's a lot of fears that we do have as human beings. There's, there's a whole list. You can go to the Internet and find a whole list of names of different fears. All right? But fear uh, in the Bible really comes in a couple of different, just a few different ideas. Uh, and so the first fear that I want to talk about is this fear of death. You know, the fear of death is something that plagues many of us. And especially as we get to the end of our lives, we sometimes uh, get more fearful of what it's going to be like. And as Christians, yes, we know the end results is are we, we are with Jesus forever. Right? But that's not necessarily what we're afraid of. What we're really afraid of is how. How does this happen? How do we get from being here on earth to being with God for eternity in heaven? 
What does that look like? How, how does it play out? I mean, think with me for just a moment about going into surgery. Many of you probably have had surgeries before. And, and how fearful are you if you went into a surgery where the doctor didn't tell you anything about what he was going to do? I mean, that usually doesn't happen, does it? Normally, the doctor sits there and says, this is what's going to happen this time, and, and here's what we're trying to hope for, and here's how we're going to accomplish it. But just imagine you had to go in uh, for a heart surgery, uh, a very vital organ, and all you knew is they were going to open you up and do something to your heart. That's it. They didn't even tell you what they were going to do or how they were going to do it. How afraid would you be? And I think that's really what the fear of death is for a lot of Christians, is we are afraid because we don't know how it's all going to work out. Well, fear of death is not something uh, that we need to have. Right? This, the, the, the author of Hebrews will write these words. He'll say, He too shared in their humanity so that he, by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, now this seems a little complicated because the Hebrew author is, is a very smart guy. Uh, and, and he's talking about Jesus and he's saying that Jesus came to this earth. The reason why Jesus was here was so that he could break the power of death over human beings and so that we can be freed from the fear of death. See, when it comes to death, when we have Jesus at our side, Jesus is there saying, it is I, do not be afraid. I am here. I am with you until the end of the age. And we have no need to be fearful of death. Instead, we need to say what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Paul will say these words. He says, When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal, then the saying that is written will be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is, there is no worries with death because we have victory in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it is a sign of what is to come for us. And as human beings, as Christians, we have no fear of death because we have victory in it. We've defeated it. And yes, it can be scary, but we shouldn't allow fear to affect us. We have victory in Jesus. So the fear of death is one of those things that the Bible talks about quite often. Another thing uh, that we often fear of uh, is fear of other people. And the Bible talks about this a lot. It's a big one. And the biggest thing, mainly in the New Testament, that people are fear, afraid of other people of is what they are going to do to them. And more importantly, what the religious leaders and the rulers of the earth, what they will do to Christians. When we look at the New Testament, we see uh, that these people were very powerful, and they didn't like Christians a lot of times. And they did a lot of things to keep them from following Jesus. One of the things they would do is they would kick them out of the synagogue. Right? And, and that doesn't seem like much to us, but that was huge in that area of the world. The synagogue was the social center of the, of the community. And if you were kicked out of it, it went beyond just being 
put out not being able to come to church. It meant that people didn't go to your shop if you owned a shop. You were boycotted. It meant that they didn't do business with you. So if you went to go buy food, where could you buy food? Because they're not going to do business with you. So it was a lot more than just saying you're not allowed to come to church. And so these religious leaders, they were doing everything in their power to keep people from following Jesus. And when they excommunicated and didn't work, then they would beat them. And the beating wasn't just like a, a simple whipping, okay? It was something that often led people to death from the infections that would come afterwards. And so it would be very necessary for you to, to get treatment. All right? and, and, and if that didn't work, they would stone you. So they'd make sure that you die. And that's very much a reason why to be afraid. There's a lot of things with other people that cast fear into our lives. But Jesus, speaking uh, to those who are listening, will say, do not be afraid of those who uh, can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. The fear of other people is an irrational fear. We, we live in a country where we have a lot of freedoms. It is not a crime at the present to be a follower of Jesus. But yet we do not allow that freedom to fully express our faith with other people. Why? Well, if we have this freedom, it can't be fear of what the leaders are going to do. But we are often afraid of other people. And we're afraid of, of what they're going to think about us. And we're afraid of our popularity, if you're really into that, what it's going to be like. Or we're afraid of them not being our friends anymore. Or we're afraid of what they will say about us or how they'll laugh at us or, or what they will really think of us. And so we don't go beyond our comfort levels to tell people about Jesus because we're afraid. That makes no sense. Because all they can do is destroy our body. But if we do not have fear in death because we've conquered death through Jesus' resurrection, then we should not be afraid of other people as well. So why are we not spreading the good news of what Jesus has done to those people? Why are we afraid? There is no fear in this. There should not be fear. Because Jesus is with us until the end of the age. He is by our side. And if He, the master of all the world, is in control, then why would we be afraid of other people? The last fear that the Bible often talks about is the fear of exposure. And what I mean by that is the fear that your sins that you commit in secret will be exposed to the world. And what's really interesting is when you read about that fear, that's the one fear that ne we're never told not to be afraid of. The one fear that we should have is that our sins will be exposed to the light. And the only way to truly conquer that in the Bible is to stop sinning. The only way to get away from the fear of that other people are going to see what we do in secret and be ashamed of it is to stop doing it. That's the only way, because when it comes to light, it won't matter. Because Jesus has conquered it. Jesus' blood covers it. And if you are not doing it, if you're living in Christ and not sinning, even in secret, 
then it doesn't matter what comes to light because you have nothing to hide. There's a book I read recently this week, and in it, this preacher that was writing the book was talking about counseling this woman that had come to him, and uh, she had committed adultery 20 years in the past, and she was tired of hiding it. And the preacher said, I told her, go tell your husband. And he said, I, I don't know why I said that. I don't always say that, but in this particular case, I said it, and I prayed to God, God, help me if that's wrong. All right, and so this woman went to the, her husband, and she told him, and her husband said to her, oh, yeah, I knew about that 20 years ago. I was just waiting for you to tell me. And he had already forgiven her for something 20 years in the past. We have to stop trying to hide stuff because it's going to come out. Whether it's here on earth or whether it's when God stands before us and says, let's look at you. Which one would you rather it be, here on earth or then? We need to stop sinning so that we are not afraid. We have to be willing to move past our sins and to move into this light that we have in Jesus. Those are the three fears that appear in the Bible over and over again. And so I ask you this question, what are you afraid of the most? What fears do you have that is keeping you from loving other people? Is it the fear of what they're going to think of you when you're living out a Christian life? Is that really something that's holding you back from fully loving them? Because that makes no sense. Is it because you're afraid that you're about to die? And so you're just huddling in and protecting yourselves rather than loving other people? That doesn't make sense. We have victory in death. We should be sharing that victory with all of the world. Is it fear because you're hiding something? Why don't you expose it now? That way that fear will be gone. Repent. Stop sinning. Jesus stands on the water and he says, It is I. Do not be afraid. And he's looking at each one of us and saying the exact same thing. It is I. Do not be afraid. What are you afraid of? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are amazed at Jesus and his willingness to come and to walk on the water. We are thankful for his words of encouragement to the disciples and their moment of fear and their moment where they wondered what was going to happen to them now. And Lord, we are encouraged by his willingness to sit there and say, I it is I, do not be afraid. Father, in the moments that we fear, I just pray, Lord, that we can focus on you instead. That we can be guided by your love and by the will of the Father for our lives. Lord, help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be afraid of death. Help us not to be afraid of others. Help us, Lord, to stop sinning so we will not have fear of being exposed. Lord, you're magnificent and are able to conquer all things in this world. We ask for your blessing today. Amen.